Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, Homer confinement. Tamar brings the case against her husband, Aslan. Aslan reads Homer's The Odyssey to their three-year-old child at bedtime. Tamar says this bedtime routine is contributing to their son's nightmares. Aslan says the son requests it. Who's right? Who's wrong? Only one can decide. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman enters the courtroom and presents an obscure cultural reference. What the devil give you for your soul, Johnny? Well, he taught me to make this here podcast real good. Oh, son, for that, you traded your everlasting soul? Well, I wasn't using it. Bailiff Jesse Thorne, please swear them in. Tamar and Aslan, please rise and raise your right hands. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God or whatever? I do. I swear. Do you swear to abide by Judge John Hodgman's ruling, despite the fact that uh, he just busted the bonds on the mast and just went with the harpies and that was the end of that? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Judge Hodgman, you may proceed. Busted the bonds on the mast and just went with the harpies and all that. No, that was the end of that. Yeah, that was that was it. Yeah, that was a reference to never uh, made it back home. Yeah, Homer's the Odyssey. Yeah, which is point of discussion today. Tomorrow and Aslan, you may be seated for an immediate summary judgment in one of your favors. Can either of you name the piece of culture that I referenced as I entered this courtroom? It was not just me either. It was it was a, it was a dialogue. It was a little a little bit of a scene between me and our bailiff Jesse Thorne. Tamara, why don't you uh, why don't you guess first? <laughs> I'm just gonna guess the Odyssey because I have no idea. No, that's a good guess because that's what the case is about. Yes, the Odyssey, Homer's the Odyssey. I'm writing that down. Homer's the Odyssey. What about you, Aslan? My guess is, uh, oh brother, where art thou? The Coen Brothers movie, uh, mm. which I'm pretty sure is not it. But uh, um, why would you guess that? Uh, there is something about selling souls to the devil there, I guess. And it's also kind of a version of the Odyssey in some form. So, Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say you wouldn't guess it because, oh, brother, where art thou was kind of a pastiche of the Odyssey. Right. Because the George Clooney character is trying to get back home and is yeah menaced variously by sirens and a cyclops and the person of John Goodman. But you did say that. Because if you had not said that, I would have said you were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I did say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's an afterthought. Uh, Yeah. I wish you hadn't had that afterthought. Because I got to make you wrong somehow when you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) I cannot believe it. Wow. Who is the dialogue between? The fact that you made that connection off of selling, selling of souls rather than the Odyssey part an advanced mind i will tell you what that brought to mind there's that yeah, please do i'd like to i'd like to know how this brain works yeah let's who wants to be a millionaire this thing <laughs> tomar says i don't think so you don't want to know so uh i was thinking of the scene where there's this musician on the side of the road uh and that's supposed to be sort of uh throwback to these uh to this musician um who's uh, uh, sort of a legendary musician. I can't remember his name. A legendary can't remember musician. Remember his name? You said. Wow! Can't yeah. remember his name, huh? Can't, can't remember, remember Robert his... Johnson. It sounds like you're wrong. Robert Johnson, exactly. Wow, no, no, it's too late. You're already wrong. 
Actually, do you know what, Jesse? Sorry about this. Aslan, you're also wrong. It's not Robert Johnson. It's, it's Tommy not? Johnson. <laughs> Robert Johnson is most famously as- associated with the myth that he that he sold his soul to the devil to play at guitar. the crossroads to play, to play guitar, to play the blues. But the character in the movie was played by actual blues musician Chris Thomas King is based on Tommy Johnson, who was also a, an originator of blues music in the early 20th century, and also is reputed to have sold his soul to the devil. And indeed, some musical folklorists suggest that the Robert Johnson fable, which came up kind of after Robert Johnson's death, about 20 years when he was being rediscovered, was a misappropriation of the Tommy Johnson legend and putting that on Robert Johnson. Now, in, in, in many ways, you're absolutely right. It is from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> it is because <laughs> Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is based in some ways on the Odyssey and has a lot of echoes of that story of Ulysses trying to make his way home. And indeed, uh, George Clooney's character is named Ulysses Everett McGill. But also you are right that the, the bargain for the soul story is associated with Robert Johnson but you're wrong, Aslan. You're wrong about the original blues man who sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads. That was Tommy Johnson. I appreciate the elucidation. That was unbelievable. It was Bart Simpson. He sold it for $5 to Millhouse. <laughs> I gotta say, it's a terrific movie. And Chris Thomas King is a terrific musician. You should check out his music. As well as the historic music of Robert Johnson and Tommy Johnson, oft overlooked by Aslan in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I had to say, you got it. You basically got it right. You win this one pretty much. And I really had a, I really had a worry that someone was going to get this one. And then when Tamara said the Odyssey, I'm like, Phew, I'm home. I'm home free now. <laughs> I That's never, 50% wrong. Never get your cultural references. So, and today I'm... of all days that you would get it. Great. I'm going to hear this case anyway because there's <laughs> that real, real teeny tiny loophole that I found. But you deserve congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So which of you comes to seek justice in this court? I do. And Tamar, what is the justice that you seek? So I believe that Aslan needs to be a little bit more careful in what he reads to Isaac, um, who is our three-year-old son. Um, I know that Isaac really enjoys gory things and creepy stuff. Um, but I think that we should be careful on what we're reading to him and also what we're showing to him because this um, this Odyssey book is a graphic novel and it is quite graphic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Aslan is reading a graphic novel version of the Odyssey to your son Isak, correct? Correct, All yes. Right. And, and it, what problems, what damage is, is this causing to your son? He has been having nightmares, um, so he wakes up in the middle of the night having nightmares, um, very graphic ones also, um, about um, polyphemus uh, and the stabbing of his eye mm-hmm. or being drowned in, uh, in this, where, what, what's it called, uh, el remolino. <laughs> the, the whirlpool, the, the whirlpool, whirlpool called Charybdis uh, in the Odyssey, yeah, it's a whirlpool. Yeah, yeah, he's been also talking a lot about death and uh, about the day that he's going to die or if we're all going to be in the underworld and things like that. So, um, You're saying it's, it's, it's gotten him creeped out a little. Yeah, I mean, he's enjoying it and he's right. really into it. He 
doesn't seem too scared by it, but I think it might well, mess But you're him saying up. he's waking up in the middle of the night saying, um, I'm dreaming of a cyclops. Does he believe that he's a cyclops who's being stabbed in the eye or he's got a, like, or is it just the image itself? It's a, it's a horrifying image. Yeah, so he, I think he's uh, being creative in his dreams as well. Uh, the other night he woke up and he Impossible told me... Impossible children are never creative, <laughs> even when they're awake, never mind in their dream life. Right. <laughs> I'm afraid I have to question your veracity, ma'am. <laughs> no, so what's what are his dreams like as he describes them? Um, so he was dreaming that uh, he, we were, the three of us were together, um, and Isaac cut off Aslan's leg. He put apples on it and ate it. Mm. And then I just put up, put another leg on Aslan. Let me ask you this. How do you know that that was inspired by the Odyssey and not that one episode of Daniel Tiger? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, if you see um, some of the images here, you, you're going to see some some legs, some blood, uh, e uh, the Cyclops eating some of the sailors, so... I, I could say that it was related, uh, but there are other dreams that are more related and maybe less creative. Aslan, you don't dispute that this graphic novel is causing some pretty graphic nightmares, it would seem to me. Yes, I do not dispute that. In fact, I am very, um, I, I will not say that I'm happy that my son yeah, is having nightmares. Mission accomplished. That's exactly what you wanted. I got you. <laughs> Cha-ching! <laughs> But there was that one night when, like, I was uh, somehow the Odyssey had gotten into my dreams and he woke up and he came to my bed. And, like, I was like, I was dreaming that I'm, I'm writing a dissertation, right? And I had this dream. And, like, with my therapist, I talked about my dissertation and, like, how it feels like the ocean. And so I was like Odysseus in this dream and I was like swimming through the waves. And, like, suddenly I, sort of got a handle of the waves and I was like, you know, surfing the waves, even though it was like, it seemed impossible to master. Yeah. And I was like, this was such a revealing dream for me, whatever. And then suddenly Zach shows up in the, in the room and he says, you know, I've been having this nightmare about Haribdis, which is this, this, uh, this whirlwind, uh, whirlpool, sorry, that, 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 that is about to swallow, uh, to swallow Odysseus in at some point. And so I sort of felt, uh, an extraordinary father to some connection at that moment. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, Whereas I, I am sort of presenting this, you know, you know, I'm sort of celebrating that he's having nightmares in a fun way, but, it, but I really believe that it is sort of, it enhances my connection with him in, in, in very substantial ways. And, and I don't know that that moment was very, was very meaningful for that reason. Um, even though it's kind of selfish. Yeah. Well, I mean, share reading with your child is a, is a very bonding experience, but you're saying it's going even further because you're sharing, you're sh sharing a dream life together, <laughs> right? You're both terrified <laughs> in the middle of the night of drowning in a whirlpool together, <laughs> right? That is a bonding experience, I suppose. Let's take a look at some of the pages. You sent in some evidence to Mark, correct? Yes, we both and, did. And uh, these images are probably copyrighted, so I don't think we're going to put them up on our Instagram page. What is the name of the book, though? We might as well plug it. Because there might be other parents out there who want to give their kids nightmares. So it is The Odyssey, a graphic novel adaptations by Gareth Hines. Hines. How do you spell it? 
H-I-N-D-S. Oh, okay. The Odyssey, a graphic novel. Okay. By Gareth Hines. All right. Yes. Maybe, tomorrow you can describe the images that you submitted. The first seems to be, well, I'll let you say it in your own words. So the first, there's a couple of images there, but one is uh, many of the sailors are grabbing this very large um, stick and yeah. sticking it into Polyphemus' eye. And, and Polyphemus he seems, is the name of the Cyclops in the story. Correct. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be in a lot of pain. Polyphemus means literally many-storied or many-songed, many legends told about him. It means many-storied, but only one eye, only one mm -hmm. eye, because he's only got one. He's a cyclops. Correct. And the sound effect, how would you how would you describe the sound effect? I mean, make the sound effect as they stick this burning piece of wood into <laughs> Polyphemus's single eye. <laughs> you do it. Go oh, ahead. You, whoa, you're telling me? All right, I'll do it. That's fine. <laughs> I'll look, I've always lived to be a Foley artist. Here we go. <laughs> like a burning hissing. Yes. Was that was that appropriately gory, Tamar? Or would you want me to take it up a notch? I'm happy to do multiple takes. Uh, John, I have, a, I have a contribution. Would you mind doing the stick in the eye sound? Sure. <laughs> oh, that's my friend the Cyclops that I just stabbed in the eye with a burning stick. <laughs> yeah. That's gory enough for me. Is that that's gory enough? Or do you think that it's when you imagine it or when Isak imagines it, it's more gory? Because we can do we can go harder into it. You heard how <laughs> Jesse and I recited that scene earlier. We're really good actors. Yeah. I was on Archer. <laughs> just give me uh just give me one more for me, okay? Jesse, are you cool with that? Yeah, As my scene partner? Great. All right. Yeah, that's go. great. I, Odysseus, will now stab the Cyclops with my burning stick. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that terrible smell. The eye goop rolling down his sad cheek amidst his tears. Perhaps <laughs> I have done the wrong thing. Mm. Oh, they said they told me that Cyclops didn't cry, but I guess I had it wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have judged this graphic novel by its cover, so to speak. <laughs> I am no man. That's what he says to the Cyclops. I had one eye. Now I have no eye. I am no man and you are no eye. Well, if you go further down in the evidence, this one I submitted, you will see after afterwards at the end of the of the episode, he is crying out to Poseidon, Cyclops, the Cyclops, that is. He's crying out to his Use father, his Poseidon. Say his name, will you please? He's not just the Cyclops. He's got a name. Right. <laughs> Polyphemus is crying yeah. out to his uh, to his father, Poseidon, uh, for vengeance. Uh, and he has like this bloody, uh, the, 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 so he's this angry face and, and blood is coming out still uh, yeah, out of his eyes. Yeah, out of his eye. Well, are you trying yeah. to help your case or sink it? <laughs> This is a grim image. Yeah. Yeah. And here's his here's his monologue, if 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 I may. I'll say the monologue of Polyphemus. Today I will be uh, auditioning for the role of Polyphemus, the blinded Cyclops. I've already been replaced. Oh. Poseidon. Oh, you know what, Jesse? You're right. I really wanted to do this one, actually. You want to do it? Okay. I'll allow, no, I'll yeah. allow it. I'll yeah, allow it. That That's sounds right. great. So you can so you can see how it sounds like when Great. we're in bed, right? 
that I am Poseidon's son. Hang on. Before you, before you start again, just take a moment, center yourself, okay? Just take a second. We're here to support you. We want you to do a great job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We just want, you know, um, and, you know, center yourself, uh, breathe from your diaphragm. Go ahead. Now you're ready to perform? I am ready. Whenever you're ready, we're, we're all watching. But I am Poseidon's, Poseidon's son. You want to take that again? You want to just, yeah. just take it again. Just take Let's it go again. from the top. But I am Poseidon's son, and he will hear my prayer. Poseidon, earth shaker, god of the sable locks, if I am indeed your son, grant me revenge on Odysseus of Ithaca. Let him never reach his home, or if the other gods declare that he must, let him come late after long suffering, with all of his comrades dead, and let him find trouble waiting for him at home. Very nice. I can't. I can't wait to show it to the director. That's terrific. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Great. I, yeah. I, honestly, we are in a in a in in this uh, studio recording, and That's I've right. never heard like my voice sounds sounds honestly so sexy on in this headphones. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I absolutely agree with you. Thank you. Thanks, Tightrope Studio in Chicago, for making Aslan's voice really boom <laughs> in the part of Polyphemus the Cyclops there. And, and I mean, look, I, I got to say, Polyphemus really tried to have, have his cake and eat it, too, here with, this, uh, with his wish. He's like, make sure that Odysseus never gets home. Or if he does, make sure he has a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of what I want out of this case. What is it that you want out of the case? Well, either that Aslan starts editing some of these stories or choosing more age-appropriate um, versions of the oh. Odyssey or any books, or that uh, if he continues, he's the one that has to wake up with every nightmare. I see. Okay. Before we get into the division of labor aspect, which I would like to, I will note that not only did you submit this piece of evidence of Polyphemus's sort of wishy-washy prayer, which of course came true in one sense because Odysseus did have a lot of trouble getting home and he was there was trouble waiting for him at home there were a bunch of suitors trying to trying to get get with his wife Penelope is that right Penelope yeah Penelope and she's like I'm not going to marry any of you till I finish knitting this scarf or whatever <laughs> and <laughs> and uh that was the that was the first time in recorded literary history of a woman knitting to not talk to a man was well, very important. <laughs> <laughs> Scarf has never been finished in my house. Anyway. John and his wife love each other a lot. I've seen them together. <laughs> yeah, no. And she's a whole human being in her own right who deserves to knit whatever she wants. Now, when you're talking about knitting, you got to talk about my mother-in-law. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Let's take a quick recess and hear about this week's Judge John Hodgman sponsor. We'll be back in just a moment on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. -A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give 
your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you, it's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Aslan, you also submitted other evidence, including the very same picture of Polyphemus getting stabbed in the eye with a burning brand that Tamar submitted. Why did you submit the same image? And what does it mean to you? And what does the Odyssey mean to you that you want to share it with your son? So I think this image actually speaks to the what I think is is a lot of the value here, which you know you pointed out that at the end of that uh, episode, when Odysseus and his sailors finally escape, they do so by duping uh, Polyphemus, and and Odysseus says that his name is no one, right? right. And and through that uh, through that ploy, he the, he's he successfully gets gets out of there. So you know, in in on the one hand, it's like great plot, like it's just like very it's, it's just very finely crafted plots and yeah. then but here like in the case of polyphemus like my son like isaac asks me when when we started reading this episode he's you know as kids often do um well um 
you know, is he the bad guy and why is he bad? This is a recurrent question of him, of his, why is he bad? And I feel mm -hmm. like often in stuff that we see, especially in television, it's like, well, you know, he's the bad guy just because he's the bad guy, right? But here, like, you really have a kind of... Um, double side uh, two sides to the to the story right and and you can see here like he's he's in this position of of his son himself who's been injured and who's you know even uh even though you have the, the, the sort of you, you side with the hero right of the story and you want right. him to get home at the same time you get to understand and i get to 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 communicate to isaac that this is part of you know the complexity of life as well that that everybody has um has a story of their own and uh, motivations of their own and um, right. and i think for that and many other reasons it's a very powerful it's a very powerful book um and yeah, so you want to yeah. so on the one hand you're teaching your child the best way to to blind a cyclops which is wait till it falls asleep <laughs> and stab it in the eye so something practical, something, <laughs> something practical there, philosophical as well, but somewhat more deeply, you're teaching your child that at any moment someone can sneak into your cave and hurt you, and your father Poseidon will not be around to stop it from happening, and you can be hurt. I can see how these messages might work. Aslan, would you say that if someone put a burning stick into Isak's only eye that when they got home, you would make sure they had a bad time? Yeah, I would. I definitely would. I think the other element is that, you know, there is like the one-eyed monster. There's also like this sort of fantastical quality to this episode that mm. we're like, it's part of that reason that it doesn't strike me as like crude and horribly violent. Like I would never... I, despite what I'm communicating to you probably now is I'm, I'm actually thoughtful about how, what, what kinds of things I expose my son to, but I, like, I would never read to him the last episode when Odysseus goes back to his home and finds the suitors and, you know, slays them. And it's like sort of a butchery and that's really, I don't know, horrible. But in this case, I don't know, it's like that element of like, you know, it's like, the monsters and uh, you know like you, you go around we're here we're here recording in halloween day actually and uh you go around streets and you see stuff that is probably as scary as this you know dragons and uh and all sorts of, of monstrous creatures and and they're interested in that the kids like yesterday aslan and isaac were taking a walk in the park and uh they saw some like skeletons coming out of of the ground you know as as Halloween decor goes. And Isaac asked Aslan if when we walk on the grass, we're stepping on dead people. Um, and Aslan's response was, uh, yes. <laughs> and um, Were you walking through a cemetery or you just believe that they're... <laughs> just, you know, our curve. garden. <laughs> the curve, yeah. Are you just speaking more holistically yeah. about how the fact that we that we metaphorically and literally... The ground is full of the remains of our ancestors. Right. Yeah. Okay. Without good. Now that I explanation, though. <laughs> so my point is, I think he should be more thoughtful throughout. But I was thoughtful in my next response because he asked if 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 the dead 
uh, felt pain when we stepped on them. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's did you laugh maniacally? <laughs> And then did you spend the afternoon in the graveyard dancing on some graves with your son? (laughs) They can't feel anything. (laughs) All right. Aslan, this is a very beautiful book. I'm looking at the pictures. It certainly appears to be an adult adaptation of this story. Why did you choose this bloody face version of this classic tale when there were probably... Look, there's, there, are, there probably aren't any targeted at three-year-olds, <laughs> but maybe at eight or 10-year-olds. Uh, so we were uh, in Iowa, of all places. I had officiated a friend's wedding, and I just want to throw that in because I'm very proud of having done that. And then- um, Good job. Yeah. And then um, we went to a wonderful bookstore uh, in, um, in, in Des Moines called City Lights and, uh, and, and we went to the basement. They had like this beautiful children's section and, uh, and Isaac actually went up to this book and he started browsing and he started mm-hmm. looking at it. And of course, you know, I, uh, I like uh, the classic and ancient literature and I was like, oh yeah, like this is, you know, great. So when you're a parent, it's important to find things that you like also to share with your children because sometimes, you know, some of the stuff that you have to watch or read to them isn't very interesting. I love Dora the Explorer. I love it. Why would you suggest that I don't love it? (laughs) (laughs) It's not a trauma response. I love it. (laughs) I agree that Paw Patrol are on a roll. Backpack, 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 backpack. I'm the bag that's loaded up with things and knickknacks too. Anything that you could want, I got it here for you. Backpack. Actually, I do love Dora the Explorer because I just, I just thought, I love how that backpack sings it with that. I don't know, I don't know the musically how you would say, but the beat is really funky in that backpack. It's really offbeat. I really love it. You do sound uh, a bit traumatized in my. No, I love Dora the Explorer. It's great. It's great show. I don't even know what you're talking about. I really love it. I can't think. I can't think of a. I can't think of a piece of, a piece of. Oh, mm, yeah. Okay. I don't want to upset anybody. I was going to say I can't think of a piece of children's culture, that I accidentally ingested because my child or one of our children wanted to watch it, and I just couldn't stand it. And I had to white knuckle my way through it. If you were to ask my wife, who's a whole human being in her own right, she would say Caillou. Caillou was not tolerable for her, and I see Jennifer Marmer. Nodding in the background. Spidey is one of the things that I detest. Spidey? Yeah. Spidey, Spidey man? Spidey man? Have you seen it? No. Never heard of it. It is a like a toddler version of, of Spider-Man um, and his friends. They're all like little kids, but there's Hulk and there's the, I don't know their names, but they're really, really annoying. Well then, so tomorrow you should have some some sympathy with Aslan for picking something that not only he can enjoy, but is actually, you know, emotionally complex. And, you know, Aslan, you mentioned that this was a story with like a good plot. And I agree with you. I think this thing's going to be a classic someday. It's a meaningful, (laughs) you know, it's been, it's been around for a long time. And I certainly, I feel like I encountered these stories when I was a relatively young person 
reading my Dolaire's book of Greek myths or whatever. Shout out Dolaire's. So what, you know, what, what would you prefer that, uh, Eslan read instead? I mean, I love that my three-year-old can teach me about Greek mythology and he has, um, and I think that that should continue. I just think that it should be more curated and, um, less violent, um, Maybe yeah. some episodes can be, you know, not edited out. Um, well, you mentioned also, if I may, that that when Isak wakes up in the middle of the night, you go to him. Is that is that your job, typically? No, it is both our jobs. And Aslan has really done a good job of, of getting up with him in the middle of the night. Um, I'm just saying it should be completely his responsibility if he... If he keeps on giving him the nightmares. Right. So let's say now it's 50, 50, you would, you would ask that it's a hundred percent. Yes. Have he had nightmares before this book that, or is this solely attributable to the book? I mean, obviously every kid has nightmares, but did they, have they changed in quality tomorrow? Yeah. I think, um, maybe when he like turned three, he had like a couple of nightmares, but I can't remember what they were, but, um, he wasn't having nightmares, but I will say that he's never been a good sleeper. So it's always been like our one issue with him. So, you know, once he started sleeping kind of better, giving him nightmares is not ideal. What is his bedtime routine? Um, he takes a bath and then um, he has uh, some fruit while we read him books. He's really into the books. Um what are some of the other books that you like and that he likes too? Um, it rotates. He's been really into some uh, cat, uh, cat in the Hat books. We have some in Spanish uh, that he really likes. There's another one that I feel like it's kind of violent too. It's the worst woman in the world, uh, but in Spanish. Um, you know, the Cat in the Hat's kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Cat is a monster. <laughs> I mean, talk about a monster! This is a very one-sided portrayal <laughs> of a monster. You don't get you don't get a sense of the Cat in the Hat's humanity. He's just an agent, an abusive agent of chaos, as far as I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> but the series, the series is great. There's one uh, actually in the in the piece of evidence that I, I don't know if Tamar submitted this or I did, but it, there's uh, he's choosing among the different. Uh, Cat in the Hat uh, series books and, and the floor and there's and there's one that says Sam Sam and the Firefly and that is just my favorite book to read to him it's such a wonderful and it's not you know by Dr. Seuss the cat Seuss. is not there the ca yeah right. the cat is not there right so it it's not it's not a fair qualification but it's um, yeah it's just a wonderful book it's obviously published under the Cat in the Hat books imprint Right, but it's not a Dr. Seuss book. What is what is it about? Um, it's about a uh, the friendship of it's between about a killer an, 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 <laughs> an owl and an owl and a firefly oh. who find in each a way, other. It's in the... about police and criminals, but really, <laughs> it's a story about how the city of Baltimore is a kind of reflection of a grander dysfunction. <laughs> and that all institutions basically uh, grow until they are corrupt and, and serve only themselves. Yeah. But right. there's this one guy 
<laughs> there's this one criminal who's really fun. Right. And that's the plot of The Farmer in the Dell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I notice also in this wonderful photo that uh, Isak is wearing a, a Spidey pajamas. <laughs> yes. Spidey jammies. <laughs> has this taken over your life, Tamar, Spidey? It has not. We have really, I think I've done a good job of avoiding it and pushing him towards Bluey um, and Snoopy and some other things. And yeah. yeah. Tamar, also there's a photo of some cake here. And what is this pertaining to? Uh, yes. So that is the Day of the Dead bread that we are making at my bakery now for Day of the Dead. Um, and it was one of the things that happened this last week when uh, I I brought the, the bread and I told Isaac that it was uh, the bread that we eat during Day of the Dead. And he said, oh, is that the day that I'm going to die? And <laughs> So he has a lot of questions about death. Well, first of all, it looks delicious. And you have a you have a bakery in Chicago? Yes, I do. Uh, go ahead and say the name of it. <laughs> it's Masa Madre. It means mother dough. It's a Mexican Jewish bakery. Fantastic. And this Day of the Dead bread looks really, really delicious. It's good. But, you know, look, isn't the Day of the Dead supposed to be about ruminating on death to some degree? I mean, really, this is a pretty provocative cake to bring into your home if you don't want your son to be thinking about death. It is. And I actually, I think it's good that, you know, there's a conversation about death and that it's not like a taboo thing. And, you know, whenever a closed death will happen in the family, I feel like it will be easier to explain maybe. Mm -hmm. But I just don't want him to be, you know, obsessed with, with it and with gory details. And Have you done any research into how developmentally appropriate it is for Isak to be ruminating on, on death in this way? I have not, but I have mm. talked to other parents who think that this is an age where they start to get obsessed with death. So, Right. And I guess really, has have you ever asked Isak, either one of you, do you, you know, this book seems to be giving you some nightmares should we take a break from it? Has that ever come up? He did say the other day, right? Yeah. So he, I asked if he if he wanted me to read the uh, the polyphemous story, and he said, "No, that gives me nightmares, so I don't want that tonight." <laughs> um, what are so. we even doing here, <laughs> What are we even doing here? But yesterday I asked again, and he seemed to open to the idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> open or browbeaten yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so when was the last time you read it to him um last week okay so a few days ago you said you want to do it tonight he said no thanks and then yesterday you said uh do you want to read it tonight and he seemed open to the idea what did he say exactly do you recall <laughs> Yeah, he said sure, but then the book wasn't wasn't at hand because we were we had it downstairs to get it ready to bring it over to the studio so we could show it to you guys. So gotcha. it just wasn't uh, just wasn't at hand. Right, and uh, yeah. and you know it, it will live in that studio forever probably if I if, if I rule in Tamar's favor, <laughs> it's going to become a permanent fixture in the abandoned books and magazines pile at that studio. <laughs> <laughs> we can save it for his 13th birthday. 
you say that you found it in a in a in the kids section of the bookstore in Iowa. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it was to be fair, a children slash young adult section. Because uh-huh. uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that the images are are a little haunting. They're very beautiful. It's a yeah. really beautifully made book. Yeah, it's beautifully illustrated. And I, the one that I stopped reading to him after I realized, well, this is like and when, when, when they go into the underworld, um, they have to give the ghosts, uh, the, the ghosts have to drink blood in order to speak. And, you know, they're sort of rabid. They they just need the blood, right? And so they sort of, um, they, they come up to this um, to this pit where, where Odysseus has poured some some sheep blood and, and they start drinking from it. And, and yeah, that, I thought, maybe that's too much, you know. Maybe. <laughs> Judge Hodgman, yeah. you know, that was one of the first historical examples of Dracula's being able to have any job. I don't know what you're talking about. How do you as parents handle violent, other violent images or provocative images on television or in movies? I mean, he's three. He's watching some form of Spidey. I presume that there's no real violence there. Does this come up in any other media? Yeah, I think it's something we really try to avoid. I mean, on the one hand, he is obsessed with um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, He's he's dressing up as as Jack Skellington mm-hmm. <laughs> tonight for Halloween, and you know he he likes all the the skeletons and the the things happening there. But I don't think it is a a violent movie most of it. Um, but in general, we we really avoid violence in in TV. Or maybe not violence, but scare scary things. You know, scary things. Yeah, he really likes scary things. I think I I played for him um, Home Alone once, and he's really into that movie. Um, <laughs> maybe also not age appropriate, but he's he really likes scary things. Well, I mean, it's a it's a fantasy, you know, that all kids I think play with is what would happen if mom and dad weren't here. It's a terrifying fantasy. Mm-hmm. In some ways, that is, and and the reason I haven't seen Home Alone since then, I suppose. <laughs> but like, maybe I'm making too much of Home Alone. But it's like, yeah, this is a dream come true and a nightmare at the same time. Like, you, it would be terrifying if your parents weren't around. And yeah. that inter that intersection of horror and fun is a lot of the time where comedy comes from. Mm-hmm. The contemplating the the thing that scares you the most either can provoke, you know, a scream or a laugh. Have you, do you do any Maurice Sendak in your house? Like where the wild things are? Yeah. Yeah, he likes that. Yeah, I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It's a scary book. (laughs) It's a very scary book about that very thing. In fact, not a lot of people know that um, Home Alone is based on where the wild things are. (laughs) It was the first adaptation of where the wild things are. Uncle Buck is actually based on In the Night Kitchen. That's exactly so. Uh, I'm Molly Russellswort. <laughs> that's a deep cut from Uncle Buck. Boy, that's a good movie. So, I mean, I, at least I remember it being funny. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to vouch for any movie that I haven't seen in 25 years or whatever. <laughs> so we know what tomorrow would like as a as an ideal ruling here. That would be for you, Aslan, to research before reading books to Isaac. Look at it. Make sure it's appropriate. I guess in consultation with Tamar, right? Wouldn't you say Tamar? 
Yes. Because clearly I have no no sense of of what's of what's appropriate. <laughs> I mean, Isaac is a very I would I would say he's a very bright kid and I feel like sometimes he fools us into thinking that he's much older than he really is. So I think it makes it easy for us to to push things that are not age appropriate. Tamar, how would you characterize what is appropriate for Isaac at, at his age? Um I don't know. I things that maybe when when we read to him or he watches the question that he has, we are somewhat um, okay answering. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's it's hard, but I think just violence is not <laughs> eating humans and um, and lots of blood. Maybe it's not. No uh, humans eating humans, or just anyone. Like if it was a lion or tiger would that be okay mm-hmm. something that in the real world would good question human. <laughs> um yeah maybe humans eating humans so when isak has questions about the story like is he a good guy or a bad guy how do you handle those how do you answer i try to explain in the simplest terms possible very often tamar will laugh because i go on in a in an elaborate explanation and he's just like he's lost me in the first couple of words well all uh, right let's do a little role play <laughs> daddy islan yeah is polyphemus a good guy or a bad guy well listen the um complexity of good and evil in this world is not a question that can be answered straightforwardly we have to consider that the experience of poor polyphemus is also uh you know individual experience and he's the son of poseidon himself did you say i can have another candy (laughs) dad what's the best train (laughs) (laughs) how do planes fly let the record show that aslan took out his dissertation Are you actually able to resolve those questions with Isaac, or do those explanations float past him? Uh, often they will float past him, but often I am able to get something through. Like, uh, you know, in this case, you know, something terrible also happened to him, and he also has a father who's angry, and that is why uh, Odysseus is having so much trouble coming back. Not because, you know, the forces of evil are against him, but because, uh, you know, the father loved his son as well. And that's, uh, and, and that I think I got through, for instance, in that case. And, um, yeah, but it's hard. Yeah. It, that's, a, that's a hard question too. Th- th- those are, those are hard moments. And I think more often than not, I totally flunked the test. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't hear that. I was trying to think about what the best train is. <laughs> Would you feel differently if uh, if this were not illustrated? If if Aslan was simply reading an adaptation of or the actual Odyssey? Yes, I think so. Um, mm. I remember having watched a movie about the Odyssey when I was young, and that was um, animated and. I don't feel like it gave me nightmares at all. It was probably very edited for kids, but I'm sure there's there's other versions that are less less violent. 
Well, I'm, I'm talking about a version without pictures at all. You know, a, a telling of the story where the picture is only in the mind's eye as opposed to mm-hmm. burned into your son's eye yes. like a burning stick. <laughs> yeah, I think that's worth exploring. Uh-huh. Eslan, uh-huh. if I were to rule in Tamara's favor and suggest that you put this on the shelf, how would you feel? What would you be missing? Hmm. I don't know. That's a hard question to to answer. I'm like since the I think the overall meaning of the book for me has to do with the whole structure, right? Like it's the it's the whole idea of coming back home and 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 the role of 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 pain and in of personal pain and experience and um and bravery um those things sort of come out only if you really do read the entire thing um and i don't know i guess i would be i would be okay <laughs> i would be have you yeah. not finished i mean there are, you said that there are certain sections you wouldn't read to him anyway yeah no i, I we just come back we just come back to the same episodes the same the yeah. right so it's not as though it's not as though my ruling is going to affect whether or not you finish the book. You have effectively worked your way through it at least once. So it's a question of whether you would revisit it. No, but not with him though. I, I haven't worked my way, worked my way through the book with him because it's pretty, it's pretty long. So I would, I would actually need a more age appropriate thing to work my, my way through. Uh, so you still have more all. that you want to read to him of the book. I'm just clarifying that. Oh yes. Yeah. I see. What part is left? You've already done Scylla and Charybdis. You did the yeah. Polyphemus. You you said you skipped the part where he comes home and and uh, uh, swords to death all of his uh, rivals for Penelope's hand. That's the end, isn't it? Isn't there? Is there more? This really is an odyssey. How much yeah. more is there of this book? <laughs> um, there's um, I mean, yeah, there's a, the, the the beautiful part about the underworld, but I've already ruled that out as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, the coming home and the sun and things like that. Yeah, I mean that the the, the part of the recognition and the, right before the um, they slay the suitors. That's uh, that's a pretty moving moment when the when the servant recognizes him because of his scar and all of that. Um, yeah, I feel like we that's have the, the book right there. What's the last yeah. page? What's the, I mean, I don't spoiler alert for those of you who've never <laughs> read the Odyssey. What's the, what's the last, what's the last panel? It's the last panel yeah. reads Bracum stop son of Lyrtes. You must put away your sword. If you would live in peace. Fulfill the prophecy of Tiresias, and you will die gently in old age, and your name will live forever in story and song. Say the end. The end. Thanks, Dad. Good story. Uh, I think I've heard everything I need to in order to make my decision, but I do have a lot to think over, so I'm going to go now to uh, my chambers, which are this week are located in a coastal cave in Greece. And I'm going to consult the the many, many fossilized skulls of Pleistocene-era dwarf elephants that are lying around uh, this cave. And I hope they will give me the wisdom uh, to reach a verdict, and I'll be back in a moment with my decision. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman. (laughs) 
exits the courtroom. Tamar, how are you feeling? Pretty good. I think um, Aslan did not make a case for himself. (laughs) I think he does, but um, I think um, we both know that this, we can reach, you know, a verdict that is good for both of us. We're not going to take away his um, his telling of, of Greek mythology, it just as long as it's more edited and towards his age, I think I feel good about that. Just focus on the nonviolent parts, like uh, siring children with cows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Aslan, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good as well. I... I... I like the opportunity of well talking through this uh, with you and the judge and tomorrow, and I think that we are. Uh, yeah, I think I I do feel like I have to you know stand by stand um, in my position and sort of try to try to try to make my case, and and I I do think I've I've made the case, but at the same time I I agree that we can. There is some kind of um, of compromise that we can come to. Well, Tamar, Aslan, we'll see what the judge has to say when we come back in just a moment. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Judge Hodgman, we're taking a quick break from the case. Let's talk about what we have going on. Well, I don't have a lot going on. Dicktown, of course, is available on Hulu, et cetera, et cetera. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who joined me on the phone bank to New Hampshire on Sunday. It was really great to see some of you there. And, um, you know, as I'm recording this, the outcome of the midterm elections is still unknown. So I, I live in crossed fingered hope that, um, that we're, that we're gonna, we're gonna see a, a Congress that reflects our values going forward. But whatever happens, at least uh, y'all did a little bit extra, and that's all you can do sometimes. So thank you for that. Jesse Thorne, what's going on with you? Well, on my NPR show, Bullseye, we just had a great interview with the legendary Weird Al Yankovic. 
about his new movie, Weird, and his life and times. He is, of course, one of the loveliest people in show business. And if you're a Weird Al fan or have just always wondered what the human being behind those goofy songs is like, uh, you can give that a listen on Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. This week and this coming week, we have two great comedy people. Um, Bruce McCullough of The Kids in the Hall. One of the greats. Who is a brilliant and fascinating dude. Not just a a brilliant comedy guy, but a, a fascinating guy. And Bashir Salahuddin, who is uh, the co-creator of both of two of the best comedies on television right now, Sherman's Showcase, which is a fantastic kind of sketch comedy Soul Train parody that's uh, uh, one of the funniest shows on cable. And then uh, Southside, which is a hilarious kind of slice of life uh, comedy about uh, South Chicago that is so great. And he's... Yeah, he co-created both of them. He's Sherman on Sherman's Showcase. He is an amazing dude. And then in the Put This On shop, it is the holiday season, and we are adding new stuff every day. We just added, please don't. We just added these sort of century-old tobacco premium pins, these little pinbacks that uh, have flags of the world and breeds of dogs, and they're so beautiful and the perfect thing for you know, the special Slovak or Husky lover in your life. Mm. Um, And they're all at putthisonshop.com along with uh, imminently a bunch of vintage leather flight jackets. So if you're looking for a cool jacket for the fall, uh, go to putthisonshop.com. Let's get back to the case. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman re-enters the courtroom and presents his verdict. There's a little myth, a little Grecian myth, uh, that that uh, that first first was recorded in uh, Hesiod's Works and Days. A little a little story about Pandora's box. You opened this box already, and all the scary stuff came out and is living in your son's head, and you can't put it back. You can't put it back in the box. It's done. It's donezo. You already did it. He's already having the dreams. Of eating apples off your leg, your severed leg. Tamar, who severed the leg again? Uh, he did, and he ate the leg with the apples. With the apples. I mean, yeah. Well, you gotta season it. You yeah, gotta it's a nice it. combo. Yeah, like a pork roast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We're autumnal, and I, I, I'm no child psychologist. It should be very obvious here. Uh, and I, and I, and you know, if you run a real ruling on what is developmentally appropriate for your three year old. Go talk to a child psychologist and show them this book and go, uh, did I mess up here or no? Uh, I think that, uh, but I think that I can, I can get enough from this dream, which is that clearly Aslan, you're associated with some gory stuff and some delicious legs and apples. (laughs) But then I point out that Tamar comes in and puts the leg back and clearly she's associated with repairing the damage that you're causing. To his little mind. Is it damage exactly? Well, that's for the child psychologist and maybe maybe a child's librarian to, to help you with there. It's a damage. I don't want to say that Isak is damaged. He's a smart. I used to see these photos of this kid. This kid's, this kid's one of the best kids. I'm going to just put it out there. <laughs> one of the best. He looks so, so bright and smart. He's going to be Jack Skellington. He loves Henry Selleck movies. <laughs> but that said, I wouldn't, let you, I wouldn't let him see Coraline if I were you. That movie's scary. It's another another Henry Selleck movie. 
And I'd probably get money if he saw it because I get a royalty from it because I had a small part in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) That movie, I think, is much scarier visually and thematically than A Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Because that's another story of leaving one's parents, leaving one's home, going on an odyssey and being tempted and having difficulty to get back again. You're not wrong, Islam, that the story has a real grip on children of all ages, as they say, on the sides of toys, you know, because going away from home and then and being attracted to go away from home and then yearning for home and having trouble getting back. I mean, it is a story of Coraline. It's a story of Odyssey. It's a story of Home Alone in a reverse sort of way. It's a story of where the wild things are. It's attractive because it's scary. One of the things about this kid Isak that I thought was really interesting was that you said he's so bright that he seems older than he is. And this is where I I urge you to take caution. Sometimes parents like to get ahead of themselves because they really want to share the stories and the things that they care about that are meaningful to them. And so they might say, Sarah, say like, yeah, I, you know, I think it's about time that my son and I watch The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And Aslan, you also point out that it's important to find stuff that you enjoy as much as your child. And there's truth in that, in the sense that you want to find something that shares your values and that speaks to you in some way so that you can share that together, right? Um, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be entertaining yourself at your, at your kid's expense, at the expense of their happiness and well-being. you know, ultimately, I think that this was a really interesting experiment to run. As I say, the, the demons are out of the Pandora's box already. They're going to live in his head. I think that it's probably appropriate for him to be thinking about death and what death means. And it's appropriate for you to answer, you know, honestly, as honestly as you can, and as respectfully as you can of his intelligence and his curiosity. I don't think that talking about death or thinking about death is inappropriate at any age. I mean, it's just one of the scariest things that we think and talk about all the time, all the time. I don't think there's any thing, any benefit in protecting him from that conversation. That's why you have things like the Day of the Dead Festival. But entertaining your child's natural curiosity about morbid concepts is not the same as scaring them. And as I say, Aslan, I know it was not your intention to scare him. I'm not surprised that he has an attraction to this story, but these pictures are scary. These pictures are scary. If you were reading in the Odyssey without pictures, I wonder whether he would be having the nightmares, but these visuals are scary. I think they're probably for the young adults in the young adult section, uh, young adult and children's section of the bookstore there in Iowa. I mean, it's scary. It's, it's scary stuff. Being scared is part of being a child and processing fear is part of being a child and reassuring them uh, that this is a story and not real life. And that there are no cyclopses, et cetera, that we know of. That's all part of it. And I think that he'll come out of this the better, but it doesn't mean that it was necessarily advisable to start with, especially when there's so much, I mean, it's like you, you, you will soon have a child who is more is more than old enough to to take this in without waking up in the middle of the night. Let me put it this way. You want to share an experience with your child when you're reading a book 
the thoughts and feelings that a book pr- promotes or provokes. You don't want to share trauma responses. Like it's not, it's not the greatest thing to my ears that both you and your son are having nightmares about drowning. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you're experiencing, and by the way, congratulations on, on, on your uh, working on your dissertation. Is it? Yes. I mean, I know it's hard. I know there must, I mean, I don't know because I don't have a PhD. I have a barely have a bachelor's degree in literature, but I mean, like that's a lot of work and I'm not surprised that you feel like you're drowning and having anxiety dreams about it. And I'm not surprised that Isak is having scary dreams about going down in a whirlpool when you're showing him pictures of a whirlpool all the time. What's your uh, PhD on? Biblical studies, Hebrew Bible. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Just reading the Bible. That's the best <laughs> book there is, right? Number one book. <laughs> Better yet, read him your, read him your dissertation. <laughs> That'll put him to sleep. Sorry. I'm sure it's terrific. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Definitely. I'm sure it's terrific. So, you know, I truly think this is one where there's like no harm, no foul. Um, but I would, I would say you can leave that book on the shelf for a little bit until he asks for it. And then, you know, see if he does see if he asks for it, see if he misses it, you know, if he misses it and wants to come back to it. Unless a child psychologist disagrees with me, and I urge you to consult one, because I kind of, I kind of over my skis on this one. But if he asks for it, then you know it's like he's trying to process it still. And uh, and then I would say you can go ahead and read it to him, and you can go ahead and have a conversation with him about what what he's feeling and why as best as you can with a three year old. And Aslan, when when you are enjoying culture with Isak, and their questions come up like, "Is he good or bad?" You should have you should maybe draft something that's a little bit more age appropriate to have on hand, a little a little less dissertationy and a little bit more like, "Well, there's good and bad in everyone, and no one ever thinks they're the bad guy." And let's see, see if that works. Just takes a, you know, there's a reason why we have kids books. And then there's a reason why we have uh, dissertations. They're different, different genres. So I make no judgment. I guess I have find in your favor, Aslan, because you won. There was a summary judgment in your favor at the beginning. But I I do it with, with much advisement. It's like you, you, you did the damage already. You're going to do a lot more damage, both of you as parents, in, in, without realizing it and without intending to. Um, so let this serve as a, as a, as a warning, uh, as a parable to try to be a little bit mindful of the damage that you might be doing as you're doing it. And then you can do less. Oh, one last thing. You're definitely on nightmare duty for the next six months. This is the sound of a soft gavel. In constant sorrow all through his day. Judge John Hodgman rules that is all. Please rise as Judge John Hodgman exits the courtroom. Aslan, how are you feeling about your qualified victory? 
I am feeling fantastic. I do feel like that uh, um, last uh, clause in the verdict about <laughs> being on, on nightmare duty for six months <laughs> definitely qualifies it a little bit more. Uh, but those were uh, elucidating words from the judge, and and I um, and I appreciate that very much. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling good. Tamar, how are you feeling? I feel good. I feel like that's sort of a win. Um, that's what I wanted to do, to have Aslan be more mindful of what he's reading, to put it on the shelf and um, be on nightmare duty. <laughs> um, so I feel good. I feel like it's a, it's a compromise that we were looking for, that I was looking for at least. Well, uh, Tamar Aslan, thank you for joining us on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was fun. Another Judge John Hodgman case is in the books. In a moment, we will have swift justice. First, our thanks to Twitter user at The Real Sobrero for naming this week's episode Homer Confinement. If you want to name a future episode, make sure you're following us there on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. While you're there, you can hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO. Homer Confinement is really good, but Jesse, I just want to shout out a runner up at Whiskey and Grit who suggested closing Argonauts. I really, I really love that one. But Jason, the Argonauts, it's a different story. It's not, it's not Odysseus, different, different story. story. Someone get into a conflict about Jason and the Argonauts so we can use that one. You can join the conversation about the show on Reddit at maximumfun.reddit.com. We post evidence from the show and sometimes other stuff at Instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman, as well as on the episode page at MaximumFun.org. Make sure to follow us over there on Instagram. This episode was recorded by Max Fabian at Tightrope Recording in Chicago. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. Our editor is Valerie Moffat. Now, Swift Justice, where we answer your small disputes with quick judgment. Twitter user at Michelle the Fan says, My husband is a chronic song skipper. As a song nears the end, he'll skip to the next track. I know the driver gets to control the music, but I think he goes too far. At least let the song end. Yeah, I could see how that would be wildly annoying. So you have the right, Michelle the Fan, to be annoyed. But if your husband is doing that while you're in the car and he's driving, I'm afraid it has to stand. Settled law. The driver controls the music. It's not just a matter. It's not a, it's not a matter of tyranny. It's a matter of keeping the situation safe for the driver. If there's some end to this, maybe, maybe a, a slow fade out, uh, will cause your husband to be distracted and, uh, and go off the road. Sorry. I gotta let settled law stand here, even though I don't like it. I don't like that habit at all. Do you think there are more music-related disputes out there? I think there probably are. Well, you know, we're working our way through a big one right now, which is what is the best song about airships, dirigibles, blimps, semi-rigid inflatables, uh, zeppelins, all lighter than hot air balloons, all lighter than aircraft. This is arguably the Ur question of all music. Which is the best Zeppelin song? But, yeah, but not which is the best Led Zeppelin song, which yeah, is the best a, song, about, song uh, about Zeppelins. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And I just want everyone to know, thank you for all your suggestions. I've got all that I need. You don't need to send in any more Zeppelin songs of any kind. I got 32 hot ones and I'm figuring out how to work them into a bracket style 
uh, March Madness poll situation so you can vote on them round by round. So we can finally settle this for our listener, Jared, who believes Empire of the Clouds by Iron Maiden is the best song about airships ever written. Maybe it's so. You'll decide. And as soon as I know how to do this, I'm going to announce how it's going to be done. And it'll be done online. And uh, we'll report the voting as we go through each round. But in the meantime, is there a best song about, I don't know what, donuts? Of course there is. Ivar Cutler's A Donut in My Hand. But maybe there's another one about donuts. Is there a best song about, I don't know, what's a, what's a topic of a song? Love? Yeah, I guess. There have probably been songs written about that. I can't think of one. but Yeah, there are too many songs about love. Well, is there a best song about shoes? Is there a best song about clothes? Is there a best song that mentions a state in it? You know, Anita O'Day sings that song about Massachusetts. It's a swing song. What's, a song, what's your favorite song about uh, trains? Is it Roger Miller's King of the Road or is there another one? If you've got a dispute with someone about which is the best kind of song, non-love songs only, please. There are too many of those. Uh, sorry, Paul McCartney. Send them in, won't you? Maximumfun.org slash JJHO. Of course, we are eager to hear about disputes on any subject. No case is too big. No case is too small. Send them to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO and we shall adjudicate them. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.